Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Coaching Manual Show. This week we're joined by Danny Kadamatari. Many of you will remember Danny from his time at Everton Football Club, but for those of you that don't know Danny, don't worry. He'll explain his story about his playing career and what he's up to now as a coach throughout this podcast. What position do you want to be? Play from me. Well it could be a good tactic for you. Well played. Okay, off you go. Go and do that thing. Go and score with this goal. So, where did you start playing football? When did I start? I started grassroots. Um, I started in a. That's what we like to hear. I started in a field on my own, kicking yeah. the ball against a wall because uh, I didn't have a great deal of mates, <laughs> not in that sense, <laughs> that were uh, kind of at doing what I was doing, I was more into athletics than football and all my mates on the Sunday were playing in Sunday teams, I wasn't. So on the Sundays I'd just go and I'd like go to the cricket field around the corner from where I live and just knock the ball against the pub wall, get chased off because the pub wall was doing pub lunches and I was, people were feeling the shake of all, you know, the, the basketball, I had no football, I used to smack against the, uh, <laughs> the that was where it was, that's where I had a big massive basketball, I used to smash it against the wall um, and then I just got, I got spotted by a, a guy who was actually a police officer and um, <laughs> come knocking on the door one day in police outfit. <laughs> and uh, my dad's answered the door, and my dad's obviously on edge now. Why is this policeman knocking on the door? Are uh, you son of a little Danny Kalamashri? He said, Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, oh, I've um, been given his name. And I'm in the kitchen thinking, Oh my God, what have I done? Um, he just said, oh, I've been given his name. He's been, been, been told to maybe come in and get him involved in my team. I, I run a Sunday team. <laughs> so, it's like, my dad was like, oh. Alright, so uh, this was over in, in Sheffield at the time. So, it was a Sunday team called Woodhouse Juniors. So, I went along, trained for a little bit. It wasn't great, I was quick, I was strong, technically terrible. Um, couldn't have trapped a bag of cement, like, open and honest. But I was, and Sunday League football at the time was knock it over the top and the quick strike receiver can score. So put me up front and knock the load over, missed 10, scored one. Sometimes missed 10, scored none. Um, but I played a few Sunday League games and then I moved back to Bradford. My parents had separated. So come to Bradford and just by chance a, a, another guy kind of picked up on me, wasn't playing for a team, just playing in a, in a local field. And he just approached me and said, would you fancy coming and playing for, for my team? Which was Gummersall Boys, local. Um, and I went and played and he actually worked with me, a guy called John Rollins, his son played in the team and he actually did like little, little practices, first time like being coached as a kid, little, you know, controlling the ball, just basic drills, passing drills and I did a lot with Steen as well as his son um, and he kind of took me under his wing, played for Gummersall for a couple of years, I think two seasons and then got selected for um, trials for Bradford schools, Bradford boys, district side. So I went along, um, went through the trials, got asked to go and leave Gummersall and go and play for Bingley Juniors, which was the Bradford schoolboys, coaches, Sunday team as well. So it was a no-brainer when a guy called Tim Lee took me there and coached me. Uh, played for Bradford School, played on the Sunday for, Gum uh, for, for Bingley Juniors and actually got coached within a team that was, was, we were quite strong. And it just went from there really. I went through the, the schoolboy process with, with, with Bradford um, and got I'd been going in and out of Bradford City, like Wayne, Centre of Excellence, yeah. hoping to get signed. All my mates around me, most of them that were at Gumsfield Boys, uh, Bingley Juniors, had um, got 
signed by Bradford City and then uh, it comes that day where they, they just kept saying come back we're not sure, come back we're not sure and then got that one day where they said no you're not really for us, you know, thanks, but no thanks. The weekend after Barnsley invited me over for a trial after seeing me playing for Bradford Boys, went over, played one trial this game against Doncaster um, and, and did alright and they said yeah we want to sign you. So I signed for Barnsley. I was a centre back at this point, or a sweeper. <laughs> so you've gone from a striker to a centre back. I'd given up on scoring the goals. I played. I was quick, and I started to get more and more into the positions and scored a couple of goals. But on the flip side, because I was quick and I was strong, when I played at the back and played back for yeah, yeah. schools, I could count right back. Yeah. The other yeah, side of it. So I signed for Barnsley, and within two weeks, I played a. Uh, another game for Bradford Schools, and it was just by chance. Um, I was playing against Doncaster Boys, and Everton had come to watch one of my teammates who signed at Bradford, uh, was, was at Bradford City. Um, a lad called Neil Holmes, he's actually my son's PE teacher now, ironically. Um, <laughs> but he was a mate, he played for, for Bingley Juniors as well. They came to watch him, and I played for Bradford Schools, and after the game, Ray Hall and a guy called Alec Holmes, a scout, kind of approached me and said, Oh, do you play for a team? Yeah, yeah, I play for Barnsley. Barnsley. You know, well, we want to invite you over to Everton. I was like, mm, all right. So they invited me over. At the time, you could invite kids over, but you couldn't sign their ticket if you were already signed. Went over, played in a trial match um, against Manchester United, which involved Richie Wellens, Wes Brown. Um, who else is in that? There was a lad called Keith Brown at the time. Who was, I think he's at Accrington now. But he, he ended up going to Blackburn, did Keith Brown. Um, and I played in this game, did really well, played up front for half a game, scored two goals, played in defence for half a game, drew the game with Man U, I'm buzzing because I've never played against Man U before. And at the end of it they said, look, we want to sign you, we'll, we'll speak to we'll speak to Barnsley. Uh, and my, my uncle at the time, who was kind of representing me, who was like my advisor, said, look, we'd rather speak to Barnsley ourselves. So we went in, sat down with Maurice Firth, who was like the academy manager at the time, and just said, look, you know, this opportunity's come about, I'd, I'd like to take it, and he just he just said, "Look, I shouldn't do it, but um, I will because it's something I can tell you really want to do, and I shouldn't release and let you go. But yeah. you know, because we do want you, and I think you're a good player, got a good chance." But he released me, let me go, um, and I signed for Everton. That was under fourteens or fifteens. I can't remember under fifteens, maybe. And I literally had signed, signed there, signed schoolboy forms, had a year there, and then went in as a YTS. Um, and in the first year of my wife's office, we made my debut. Uh, well, I made my debut at the end of the season against Chelsea, but then the following season, my full home debut was, was uh, against Barnsley, <laughs> ironically. And uh, played in the game, scored, scored a couple of goals, set a couple up. Um, I walked off Goodison afterwards and I got this big smack on my back and grabbed the back of my shirt. I turned around and there was Maurice Firth, he came around from Barnsley and he was just like, he had like a bit of a grunt about it. Like, so we met that grunt and then when he talked and he went, he just put his arms around me, gave me a big big squeeze and went, I knew we shouldn't let you go. And like, just like, give me a, a big hug and I said, but I'm really, really pleased here. Uh, and that was, that was, that was kind of on me, on my road to, <laughs> to where I am now, so to speak. Um, so it was quite a quick, it sounds like it compared to nowadays, especially when kids are coming into professional academies in England at 
four, five, six years old, you know, and, and they're in that system for 10 plus years, some of them before they're even in contention for a YT. Yours seems like a really rapid transition into yeah. first team Premier League football. It was, it was, it was a quick transition into, into football, it's, you know, the, the games are, and the playing at Woodhouse Juniors wasn't at under eights, under nine level, that wasn't a, a 10 year spell that I was just chatting about before I went, it was literally under 13s I was playing, under 12, late, late under 12s, early under 13 season. So I started playing football at under 13s um, and I went from playing under 13s to, you know, within like a couple of years having trials and kind of just by chance getting an opportunity. And I only got the opportunity um, at Everton as well, just because it was the last game of the season, the manager had been been sacked, Joe Roll had been sacked, who brought me in. Willie Donkey had taken over with, with Dave Watson. Um, Dave, Dave Watson and Willie Donkey had watched with the, the 18 games I played, and at the time you played PR 18 football. 18 football, you played against senior teams like Prescott Cable and Marine and teams like that. So as a young kid, you were having experience against senior, senior footballers, which the lads don't really get these days. But, but Willie and Dave had seen a few, few of them, well, you'd seen a few of them games. So last game of the season against Chelsea was what, what what have they got to lose? Put a couple of young youngsters in the squad. So myself, Michael Ball, um, one of my, my best friend now, um, Dave Poppleton, on the on the bench, and I got on at half time against Chelsea. So it was it was just by chance more than anything. You didn't score, did you, against Chelsea? No, not against Chelsea. No, I didn't score. Against I mean, Chelsea. I, <laughs> I found out on the morning that I was probably going to be involved. Um, Maybe as the the the, unnate, the the player that didn't go on the bench, probably. But I was living in Diggs at the time with a with a family of Evertonians, staunch Evertonians, proper scousers. And I remember the, the my landlord uh, John saying to me, "If you get on, lad, the one thing you need to do, even more so than scoring a goal, is smash tennis wise." <laughs> the fans will love it. <laughs> right. So yeah, I come on half time. We're losing. Uh, I make a run up down the uh, right hand side, my first first bit of involvement, make a run down ball over the top, make a run down the right hand side, coming alongside Marcel Desailly, <laughs> six foot two, tank. That was a little tank, but I'm thinking, I need to, so I've gone, put all my effort into, balls in front of us, shoulder to shoulder, and I've gone to barge him, thinking this is going to be, it's just going to knock me over, and I've barged him off the pitch. So that was like by the by the Gladys Street end. All the fans are going, way all off the pitch. I've got the ball and crossed it in. We've had a chance. But I'm a bit of confidence up after that. Marcel Desailly killing the weights. So about ten minutes later, balls broke down the other end, and I'm chasing back. I'm playing wide right. I'm not playing up front. I'm chasing back all the way down to the park end, which is like the the Gladys Street in the park end, touch of coach is the most atmosphere. Get down by the by the park end. And Dennis Wise has just run onto the ball, and this is my chance. <laughs> this is my opportunity. So I've chased down, the ball's there, and I just went, gosh, and I smashed Dennis Wise. <laughs> but I took the ball, he went up in the air, landed, and as it happened, he just said, way! Over the park end, and it was like, it was as though I'd scored. Goosebumps, I'm getting goosebumps now thinking about it. Did he give you any lip back? The best thing, the best thing about it, obviously, and I get on with, with, with Dennis, speak to him from time to time now, but the best thing about it, obviously, I'm a young kid. I got, got up, he got up and he grabbed hold of me, like grabbed hold of my wrist and slid down to my hand and shook my hand and went, like, all he was but he went, love that, like, love that son, get in, well done. And I was like, 
How old were you then? 16, 17? 17. 17, so yeah. And I was like, uh, <laughs> thinking he was going to grab me and headbutt me or something because he was a little, tough player. But, but it was, that was what he was about anyway. And I, it wasn't like I unfairly challenged him. I'd, I'd took the ball, but I'd smashed him at the same time. And that was his sort of... So that was my kind of introduction to, to the Premier League. And I was playing against Chelsea. Um, obviously, um, season finished. That was last game. And started the next season. I was hoping, expecting to be involved in the first team. But... I wasn't, Howard Kendall had just come in as manager, didn't really know a great deal about me, so I started back as a YT pre-season and a couple of games in, um, there had been a couple of injuries, so I travelled with the first team down to Derby, Michael Branch was uh, ahead of me, was a young lad coming through, so he started the game, there was me and Nick Barnby on the bench, um, strikers, I'm thinking, I ain't getting on because he's an England international, so anyway, Michael Branch runs in behind for about eight, eight nine minutes, pulls his hamstring, gone. Me, me and Nick Barnby are up and down running and he's getting himself all ready. Nick Barnby's going to come on. And now Kendall's like that. And Nick's running down and he went, no, no, not you. <laughs> <laughs> so Nick Barnby's turned around and run back and gone, definitely want you. So I'm like, <clears throat> yeah, 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 runs down. Um, so, um, and literally come on and, and, and played. And that was me. I was in the, I literally just carved my way into the team from that point, um, which was, was kind of the start of start my, my career really more than anything just about taking the opportunities I guess right? it is yeah and you know opportunity presented sometimes being in the right place at the right time it's not necessarily the right being being the best player it's just actually being seen by the right person at the right time um, which I was probably fortunate to, to have done alright so if we shoot back to like your coaching kind of career we've just gone through your whole playing career which started off really quick getting into the Premier League as Paul said in comparison to nowadays what about your coaching career where did that start how long did that take just give us like an overview um, started just in coaching I started doing personal training so I started off and did a personal training course and just strength and conditioning it's just something that interested me I'd always yep. been into athletics before playing football um, so I did it as a bit of someone on the side and thought I quite enjoyed interacting with the lads and that, but I couldn't see myself doing the football side. Started taking lads away in pre-season, doing pre-season training camps, altitude training, and one of the lads said you should do like football coaching as well. I was like, hmm, not sure. Um, so I left it for, for about two or three years and then I, I signed for, for Carlisle. Uh, left of his field and signed for Carlisle and I, I picked up a, a bit of a knee injury and I had a bit of time on, on my hands. And about 10 years earlier, I'd started my way for B and didn't finish it because I got a cruciate, cruciate injury. Yeah. Couldn't do the practical. So I just left it. So I thought, I'll go back and do my way for B. Went, try and, try and pick it up. And I said, oh no, it's, it's that long since you tried to do it. You've now got to do your level two first. Oh, wow. So I was like, right, okay. So I kept, while I was at Carlisle, I did my me, did me level, level two with Carlisle's youth team and then applied and got my way for B. And while I was doing that, I was still living at Huddersfield, did a little bit of coaching at Carlisle, was doing a little bit of coaching at Huddersfield's Development Centre, which my, my youngest, my oldest son was in. Um, and then, as I finished my B, I got invited to go into Everton. Just, you know, work with different groups, get a bit of involvement, experience, which I did, work through quite a lot of age groups, under nines through to uh, under 18s, a little bit with the under 21s from time to time, but just, you know, basic interactions with them. 
Um, and then an opportunity at uh, Chef Wednesday came about to work with an under 12 group. So I'd had, I'd had the bad injuries with my knee, I knew I was probably coming to an end. I had a consultation, surgeon said you could probably have this open and maybe have another year or so, but it's, you know, you maybe need to look at what's going to happen next. So I kind of jumped feet first into it. You know, I'd finished my B, started at Chef Wednesday, and I'd, I'd flown through, I did make youth mods while I was injured. I had that much time in my hands, I was crutches in the brakes, sat in my garden, doing my pack, yeah. researching it, you know, going out. Um, so I started at Chef Wednesday and, and, and that's where I've been since. While I was working at Chef Wednesday, I took up a role at um, Leeds United Ladies. So I was first team coach there and that was, a, was an interesting experience. Um, just seeing the game from a different angle, which, which was good, has helped me a lot. Um, and I just like I said, I went on my went on my A license, finished my A license last year, um, and I've just worked over the last two and a half years now, three years I've worked through every age group at, um, at Sheffield Wednesday from under under sixes right through to um, to current taking under eighteens and kind of the, um, the crossover between eighteens and twenty ones, um, as well as doing all the I do all the strike work now as well for for the, for the whole academy. So that's that's my technical program that kind of put together and, and deliver. Yeah, it was great because you, you said that the first thing you mentioned with the under 12s at Sheffield Wednesday, which is brilliant, football, we agree, 95% of the coaching manual audience are grassroots coaches that predominantly coach between the ages of 6 to 15, so you coaching 12s is just like spot on really. So what kind of challenges did you face working with that age group, like the 10s, the 11s, 12s? Um. It's very because I've, you know, I've got I've got my own private academy as well, and obviously so I'm, I'm interacting with the grassroots now, um, and the crossover between grassroots to elite coaching. And when you when you work in an academy, it's it's so much easier than working grassroots without a shadow of a doubt because you've got your facility, regardless of whether it's cap one, two, or three. You've got your facility, you've got your guaranteed numbers, you've got your equipment. Um, and one of the things I did before, while I was working at Chef Wednesday with the under-12s, I got advice to go and work with the Sunday League team. Uh, by Andy Barlow actually, he just said, you know, when you want to understand about real coaching, go and work Sunday League, see the difference, try a Sunday League team. And, and I was like, why? And he said, well, you have to think on your feet more, it's a, it's a, it's a bigger challenge. Um, so I did, I went and worked at Howling Club, Sunday, Sunday Club, for, for six months. Wow. You know, I, I, I kind of took it off for granted, but the, the difference between going to Howden Clough with my session plan, you know, guaranteed thinking, oh yeah, I'll have 12 players, I'm going to do this practice, and getting there and it's raining, and can't even see my session plan because it, it's soaking wet, and only six of the kids turn up, and they've only got two balls now because the only other coaches taking some for a game. Yeah. And it was like, how do you adapt your sessions? And I had it really easy with the under 12s. That, uh, at Chef Wednesday and with Leeds ladies, you know, being a, a, a women's Premier League team. So it was it was a learning curve, yeah. but it, it made me it made me a better person and a better coach, and it made me respect Sunday League. Obviously, the parents that give up the time as the Sunday League coaches yeah. to do it when they've got no facility to a degree, they've got no equipment or just whatever they can get their hands on. They haven't got guaranteed players. They obviously try and do the qualification, which they find hard to get on the qualification because they're not with a, a recognised club or a certain age group. So that was a, the biggest learning curve for me um, with it, you know, the crossover from grassroots to, to elite. And so going back to your question, 
the the biggest thing for me in, in, in the eights, nines, tens was the was the learning style of the kids and and trying to put them in the right environment to be able to learn, you know, and, and, and being able to adapt that from younger age groups to older age groups because it, you know the, it it's a unique um, talent to be able to manage kids as a parent. Yeah. So taking that into football is is again another another big challenge. So you, you have challenges over multiple age groups, but there, there must be some kind of consistent philosophy you have when you coach. Yeah, there is, I mean, my for me, my own biggest coaching philosophy is, is creating the right environment. You know, I'm, you probably can't tell, but I'm quite outgoing. Um, <laughs> so I always, I always try to relay what I enjoyed as a player into what I do within the practices that I do and, and how I coach, you know, how I interact with with kids or in chat with players, you know, try and keep the environment. There's a, there's a time and place for the environment to be fun, um, and, and that's you know you want it to be fun, but you want it to be somewhere where the kids know the boundaries and they can understand the right times to, to to express themselves and how to express themselves. So I always try and try and get that balance in in the way I coach at every age group, and you tweak it a little bit with the older players because you go to a more serious level, but with the younger ones, kids develop and progress and learn when they're enjoying themselves, they don't switch off, they interact more and they, they express themselves more and if you if you lose that, then they switch off and you, you lose that, that, that development with them as well. Yeah. Okay, right, I'm going to propose a hypothetical situation for you. Oh God. So it's an office debate we've had before, but it goes wider than an office debate, <laughs> right? We've spoken about the larger debate before, okay? So, in a 5v5 small-sided game, you've got one of your defenders trying a Rabona, like you know, a Ronaldo behind yep. the leg trick on their five yard line, right in front of their goal. What age group? Any age group. Any age group. Yeah. Younger age group. We would be looking at a younger age group. Right, okay, foundation like, group, yeah. Yeah, so they're still learning, experimenting. Would you praise that? Would you encourage it? How would you deal with that directly? Would you? It would, for me, it depend on the outcome. So. As if we if we maybe maybe went from a, like an under twelve group then eleven or twelve group where they maybe getting to that point now where it's it's not just practicing the technique and developing but you're actually trying to give the game understanding the right times to do it when to do it where to do it how to do it if in that situation scenario he does his Rabona and he gets away with it brilliant yeah I'd, I'd probably speak to him within the interval in relation to great glad you've done that you're practicing the techniques. Have a little, you know, a bit of a thing, a think, and look at your thought process in relation to whether it's the right time to do it. You've got away with that time, you know. Don't necessarily take it for, for granted that you can always do that. Yeah. You know, so your decision making is now going to be key. You know, you can do it. You know, that in that position, you can do it. But now, think about the thought process and the, and the situation and circumstances that you do do it. If it was a situation where the kid tried it and didn't get away with it, then again, you see how that transpires. Whether you coached it there and then, or you give the kid another opportunity to, you know, to see what he does the second time round. Because again, if you just nip it, if you just stop everything straight away, nip it in the bud and go. By the way, you shouldn't do that. Then at the time, you're not giving the kid ownership to to still try and practice them techniques. That you know, I think John Stones a few couple of months ago. So <laughs> and this conversation. <laughs> um, well, John Stones has done it, and he did three, four bonus, You know, he's inside his box. He's on the edge. Of, he's, he's almost on the byline. Yeah. Um, he's got the confidence to go and do it, probably, not probably, because um, he's had the ownership through his development to be allowed to go and practice that technique to a degree where 
it's confident in doing it. Whether it's the right time and the decision making was good to do it at the time, it would be up to interpretation with who was working with. But for me, the kids, if you take that away from the kids straight away, then the one day that that is an opportunity for him to go and do that, it might be the right thing to do, he won't he won't do it. And if that's the way you want to coach your kids to go and try and play out and be comfortable on the ball and, and, and have that ownership, then don't take, the action, don't take that development away from him, but allow them the ownership to make the right decisions to, you know, to do it. Yeah. If it's the right time and in the right circumstances. That that would be my... I think players have got to have certain skills in the toolbox and, and listen, skills are skills until you do them in the game, aren't they really? That's all. You, you need to have a go in the game and see what fits where. And, and you know, the Storms one is, was part of the debate and, and you just wonder, it's all his buts and maybes, you know, and a hypothetical, but would Storms playing for England against Portugal in the Euros, in the quarters or semis, if he does the same thing and Ronaldo's closing him down, what a curse. So players need that, that technical toolbox and they refine it throughout the career. You never stop refining that. But there are players who have played at the, the highest level who technically haven't been fantastic but made the right decisions at the right time for their position yeah. in that moment in the game. And that is paramount. That is absolutely paramount. The, the, the pro, not, it's not a problem, but the, the big thing for me, I think, is that you can put on practices, for, especially for young kids, working under bonus, receiving skills, you know, first touch, one, one or two touch passing, possession practices, or all, these pra all these little sessions you can put on, they don't mean anything unless you can transfer it into a game. Because ultimately, it's about the game. It's not about, they're not going to be professional trainers. They want to be professional footballers and play, whether it, or if it's not even necessarily professional, they're playing on a Sunday, they're playing on a Saturday. It's still going to be in a game situation. Yeah. So, although you do your practice in the training sessions, the kids have to have that um, ability to be able to practice these techniques in game scenarios because that's ultimately where they're going to have to where they will deliver them. And it might not be as last man as a centre back. It might end up being you know that centre back that breaks out and drives into midfield and hits the wall and you know can't beat the block and then uses that rebona and turns out high up the field and switches play out the other side. Yeah. But you know you put you're planting them seeds rather than telling the kid don't do that. And now you've put a negative thought in his head, you know, like you know, like Paul says, is the right time to do it? Could you make a better time? You know, if you got away with it, well done, brilliant. Yeah. Also, think about your decision making of next time. Would you do it again? Depending on what what's around you and what circumstances you're in. So. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. There's no right or wrong answers. Everyone will agree and disagree, I guess. But um, if we talk about practice again. So you said like game, practices where people can take them into games. So this question goes out to both of you. What practices specifically would you teach to kids so that they can take to games? Would you teach them, say like kick-ups, get them to do those kick-ups? Would you practice turns with them? What's like one thing that you focus on? For me, I, I just think the balance between kids uh, understanding retaining the ball so like your possession but not overloading that because I, I know a lot of places people go possession 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 pass 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 and you might have two or three kids within your group that are not tremendously good passers but they are natural gifted gift, uh, runners or dribblers with the ball and you don't want to take that area of their development away from them. so practices that, that allow I mean you've got to know your group you've got to know your players you've got to know the individuals and then 
um, you challenge them individuals within within your session. So if you want to work around your possession practices, you still offer challenges and then practices that, that allow your dribblers to go and dribble. You might just condition the dribblers, right? Usually you can dribble, but you've got certain areas where you're allowed to dribble. They'll pick up them positions anyway, and you met them areas in the in the practice that are relevant to the position they play at times. It's I don't think there's a, a right or wrong answer as to what you know you could do you could allow kids to do kick-ups. It, it, it works on the touch and you know the control and the balance and the coordination, which is great. Um, it's not the end all of the, of the game. There's so many possibly before, there's so many tools kids need in the toolbox yeah. to play, not just at pro level, but even at Sunday level. So uh, I mean, I, I, I like possession-based practices um, that allow kids, you know, the freedom to go and dribble, dribble and run with the ball as well because it, it teaches them, if in tight areas, teaches them to manage the ball as well and, and, and be comfortable managing the ball. Can't always do it in tight areas to begin with because kids have to get used to the space and comfortable and confident on the ball. Um, but, you know, for me, that's uh, I like the possession-based practices. I think what Danny said about knowing your players in that one's vital as well. And it depends at what level, what environment and what age. Um, my personal opinion on it is if you're going to be a professional footballer, you need to be a 9 out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 at something. One thing. What is your 9 out of 10 or 10 out of 10? It doesn't always have to be technical. It can be leadership, it can be communication, but something has got to be 9 or 10 out of 10. Your, 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 your point there is probably, a, it's not a disrespectful point, but like Robbie Savage, you know, he wasn't, a, he wasn't an unbelievable football player, but he was a 9 out of 10 every single week with his attitude and commitment and desire. Played international football, sorry Paul. No, no, and, and you've got to work out what your 9 or 10 out of 10 is going to be and then practice that as well as the areas of your game what are not so strong. So, I mean, I, I do it sometimes as a coach myself and you'll encourage kids to practice the things they're not so good at. Do we, pra do we encourage them to practice the things that they're good at to be excellent? Yeah, to find yeah. And that links in with your role at Chef Wednesday as, you know, as attacking coach. If, you're, if, you, if you want to be a striker, and this is from seven, eight, nine years old all the way through to when you get given a position or acquire a position, if you're going to be a striker, and you're 12, 13, 14, practice scoring on goal. Don't matter if there's a keeper in or not. Different areas, different yeah. types of finishes, one touch finishes, back to goal. Practice finishing at yeah. goal because that's going to be your nine out of 10. If you're a midfielder, what's your distribution like? You know, passing over different ranges, you can do that on your own. You can yeah. do it with one coach. You know, if you're a defender, you know, again, can you hit wide areas with the ball? Can you play through? Can you drive out? What's your heading ability like? These these skills are absolutely fundamental to those positions. So again, goalkeepers, obvious one is handling, but key part of the game now is as well, distribution. Yeah. So the, the, the skills, what you practice, which fit into the game no matter where you play. Yeah. But what, as you get older, into your teens and you get assigned a position, and Charlie Raglan touched on it as well. Practice the things that you know are gonna be help benefit yeah. you, and as a result, benefit the team. Because if you're not a nine or a ten out of ten at one thing, how can the manager or the coach justify your selection within the team? You've got to bring something to the table when you get to open age level. Right. So we'll conclude with some kind of ending comments and some a little bit of Euro chat. Um, so again, this kind of goes out to both of you. What teams are you looking forward to watching at the Euros in terms of playing styles? What are you looking to see? 
I'm going to be intrigued to how England play. Intrigued is the right word. Based on <laughs> the, the selection, obviously we've got some good players in there, but it's you know it's young, um, relatively inexperienced, very attack-minded. Um, so I think that'll be an interesting, interesting watch. Uh, Belgium, uh, a team I quite I quite like. We've got some some good players. You know they're, they're, they're an up and coming, aren't they? So they're, they're a team for me that I think again could possibly be dark horses. Um, but then obviously you can't write off the the big ones, can you? You know your your France, your Spain's. So I'm, I'm I'm more. I mean obviously I'm an Englishman uh, with, with Italian descendants. I'm more intrigued about about how we're, we're going to fare as a, as a country now in relation to the, the selection, the squad selection. So we're the joint youngest in the tournament, if you take the average age of 25, do you think that will play a part? I think it could go one or two ways. Ultra inexperienced um, look about us, or it could go the complete opposite way. The inexperience could be a benefit, don't know what to expect, come play with a bit of freedom, not as much worry because you've not, not been there which sometimes happens with kids, especially kids when they make debuts, you know, at a young end, they go out and play with freedom because they've never been there before, they've never experienced the pressure side of it. Yeah. So they don't know the, the, the downside of the pressures afterwards. So it might actually work in, in our favour. I think with, with England especially, and, and I, don't, I don't agree that formations are the be-all and end-all every, of everything at all, but with this team and with this squad, I think that has to be massively taken into consideration because you've got two of the top scoring Premier League strikers in the squad, right? in Kane and Vardy. For me, and it's all well and good sat in this room talking it, and you know, talking in the pub or talking in, in the cafe about it, we don't get paid to, to pick the team, but for me, I would want to accommodate Vardy and Kane in a two-man up front because they've both got goals in them. It has to look like that. We saw Vardy playing out wide, uh, out wide, sorry, and he absolutely grafted out, out there. Was it in the Fenway up in Manchester? Yeah, but you don't get what you want from him. No, and what you want from him is goals. Defensively, I think we're going to be a bit naive. Um, so, in preparation for that, that's just trying out the score teams. And even if we go out, then we're playing some attractive England stuff. don't have a great nice record of scoring goals. Recently, we don't, but there's goals in the team, you know. Yeah, and there's proven goal this year, haven't you know, that both, both like, like Paul said, both, both players have scored, you know, in what people are saying is the strongest league in the world. Um, a lot of goals. So, why not put both in and say, right, go on, go on do it. You know, and they're both showing they can do it at international level as well against good international opposition, so I agree with that, you know, try and get them both into your team and then the, the, the key for me is, I know we, we might look vulnerable at the back, but how do you get the ball to these two lads now, there's no point in having them both in there and not having, not having service into them, so you've got to, you know, your midfield's going to be key in relation to, you know, the information that they get to, to get the ball forwards, not just possession based, but the calls at the other end. Yeah. So Spain dominated the last three tournaments really. Is, is this the most open tournament we've had in a long time then? France, will, everyone fancies France because on paper, you know, they've got strength throughout, but the game isn't played on paper. They'll be there or thereabouts, no doubt. You, you see it in the past, we like World Cups, you know, where Brazil are fancied to be the favourites and, you know, on paper they look great and they've got all these Brazilian superstars and they go out and, 
and they get mulled in a few games. They've got all these attack, this attacking flair, and get smacked in the back door, and uh, you know they end up nowhere near. So you know, I think France, like Paul said, I think France have, have got a good opportunity as much as anybody else. But I do, I do have an outside kind of fancy for Belgium. I just think the strong, the physical, uh, the, you know, the aggressive in the play. They've got some good technicians within there. Um, they've got pace. They've got power. Um, they've got a tough opening game against Italy. They have, but you I know, fancy Italy for the whole thing. And I, I don't know why. I well, don't I do know. Why. I had a degree goes before them, you know. Yeah, on, they, on I, the national stage. They're yeah. just hard to break down all I know the time. Saying, <laughs> yeah. They just, you yeah. know, what you're gonna get. I actually love watching that type of football, where it's real technical. You know, I love, I love that attitude to defend. You know, it just. Mm. And some of the players, I know Verratti's out now, but you know, people like Chiellini and that they wouldn't have been afraid of kicking myself, they say. I just love that style so of So you're expecting a lot from Kevin De Bruyne in this tournament, it's his time, is it? I want to say yeah. yeah. And I think that he's come back, he's, he's... What's happened with him has been phenomenal, really, in relation to where he was, where he went, where he is now. Where he's come from. From yeah. Genk a few yeah. years ago, yeah, then. Um, and that full circle, you know, not not done it, not quite done it, or not infanted, and done the full U-turn and come back. So yeah, I, th- I think it could be, but that's what happens when you talk about this one person that you think is going to light like like the tournament on fire, and it doesn't happen. So I don't want to give him the kiss of death. Um, <laughs> but then you you also get them, them guys that come from nowhere, relatively unheard of come and have an unbelievable tournament and uh, probably go back to years ago and I know he ended up being a not maybe a superstar but like Karol Poborski had just come from absolutely nowhere to have an unbelievable tournament and get a fantastic move off the back of it so I, you think, know, with the, I think with the spending power in the Premier League and Mourinho and Guardiola taking over there's yeah. going to be money out there people are going to be there, yeah. looking mm-hmm. to get a contract in the Premier there's, League there is, and there's going to be I think there's going to be one or two that just pop up and you go wow wow where's he yeah, yeah. So. Well, Belgium definitely have a vast amount of youth players that could potentially do that. So I think we'll close the interview with a, a standard question that we normally ask all of our guests, which is a coaching tip for the week. So if you could coach just one thing, this was the one thing that you'd want to send home to players. It could be grassroots, academy players. What's one thing you would give them advice on? Um, the one thing I, I generally tell... All, all my kids uh, at every level that I work is, work with is is to 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 not fear um, trying things so to, to to play with freedom. Football is a game of enjoyment at the end of the day. There's no there's no no pressure unless you're playing in the World Cup final, ninety third minute penalty to win it. So you know I always think that the environment and, and playing with that bit of freedom and, and expressing yourself, bringing what you do best to the table is the biggest thing and I tell all, all the kids I work with if you're a great dribbler don't go and you know spend all your time in the, in the session showing everybody that you're going to try and be a good passer show what you're good at and work on the things that you're not as strong at if you're a good defender show that you're a good defender and win your tackles and win your headers don't try and do things that are a little bit beyond you show what you're good at and, and, and work on the things that you, that you can't do and, and do it with a bit of freedom Paul you agree? Totally, totally, you know, it, it's, it's a game, it is a game and, and it's big business at the top end but 
we're all involved in the game, everyone sat on this table is involved in it because they developed all for it as a young player. Now, if you were given that freedom, you develop that love, don't you? Of the game and with the ball on, like Danny with his basketball, booting a ball at a pub wall. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't using the ball in his hands, it was at his feet. You know, that's what I'm saying, the power yeah. of the game, falling over the game, and if you're going to do that, you need the freedom. Absolutely. All right, cheers for joining us. Nice. What position do you want to be? Play from me. Well done, well done. It could be a good tactic for you. Well played. Okay, off you go. Go and do that for me. Go and score with this goal.